Giannis, 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen joined by a Hall of Famer, Jim Palmer, joining us here on the couches. Jim, thanks so much for uh, hopping on here. You're welcome. It's uh, great to have you here to ask fan questions that we're going to get on Facebook and YouTube. <laughs> but of course, yeah, who is right? <laughs> <laughs> There's really no question we can't ask that I feel like Kevin Brown has not already asked you at some point over the course of the season. Yeah, he, he, he is a fairly inquisitive young man. <laughs> he looks like he's 12. <laughs> but he, get, he obviously gets good grades. Got good grades. Totally prepared. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah he's great to work with. If he looks like he's 12, that means we look like we're eight, I think. Yeah. Because we, no, no, a no, few no, years is, no, but yeah. it, entirely. We had Kevin on the podcast a few weeks ago. How'd that go? <laughs> Went well. <laughs> About as well as you would expect with Kevin in terms of the uh, ridiculous questions being asked. By, by him. Well, by us, by oh, okay. fans, by, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. Kevin has a whole spectrum of, of possible answers that he could yeah. give. So I'm, I'm wondering what it's like. My first question for you is getting to work with Kevin. You've worked with so many different broadcasters over the course of your career with Gary Thorne, some legends. Getting somebody who is as quirky, I guess you could say, as Kevin Brown, somebody who asks as many strange questions, but also appears to know a lot about the game, obviously. What's appears, it like for yeah, appears, <laughs> appears, appears to, What's to it? know a lot. Um, oh, no, I mean, it, I mean, he's very engaging. I mean, he's totally prepared mm-hmm. and probably too much prepared. No. Um, well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I was doing the uh, 85 World Series, and I work with Tim McCarver and Al Michaels, and we're in game seven, and Duhar. He had gone from like 19 and four to 21 and 11. And, you know, we're doing the pregame, and Tim McCarver says, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, talk about how he used to be colorful, now he's controversy, because he was, and he's going to pitch game seven of the World Series. Mm-hmm. And they knock him out. You know, the game is seven or eight to nothing in the second or third inning. And I looked at Al Michaels and it's funny when you work with guys and, and you, you kind of are always on the same wavelength. And mm-hmm. I said, Al, uh, I said, did you hear that sonic boom? And Al goes, you know, can, you can just see and a lot of times when you do three man booths or even two man booths, yeah. kind of look, you know, you're, you're in your headset and you're not on camera. And he very kind of inquisitive looked. I said, yeah, everybody turning off their television. <laughs> so, we don't turn off Kevin, but <laughs> <laughs> I know I talked to Ben and, uh, you know, he goes, yeah, he asked me some stuff. I have no idea what he's talking about. So, I mean, I actually think that makes you be on your toes. I think one of the great things about broadcasting this year, obviously the Orioles have played better. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, you do have to do your homework. You have to probably the key to broadcasting three. I mean, I get a, you know, great early on and then just last month or early this month, to work in a three-man booth with, uh, you know, Kevin and, and, and Ben, um, you really do have to listen to each other, you know, because otherwise you stay deja vu, you know. I mean, you say something and somebody's already said it. So right. uh, it's, it's to me, it's, you know, it's a challenge not to work with him. I mean, it's just a challenge to broadcast yeah. because you do have to focus and you do have to pay attention. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm just not a guy that kind of calls it in and, or at least I try not to, and, uh, you know, you just go, oh, yeah, here's another game. I won't prepare, or, you know, I'll just go do the game. I mean, every once in a while, you're if you don't, 
don't feel like you're as prepared, you go, did I, am I fully dressed? Did I really, I mean, it's something <laughs> like, so yeah, I, so broadcasting, and I sat with, years ago, I sat with a guy that did learning seminars and uh, I was 68 at the time and I said, so if I stop broadcasting, how long would it take for, for my melon to, you know, my brain to turn into a melon? He said, I give you about 18 months. That's all I had to hear. <laughs> so staying on that topic a little bit. Melon? I mean, uh, yeah, my yeah, brain the melon, to a melon? Uh, the melon topic. Um, <laughs> you go into broadcasting, obviously, after your playing career is done. Mm, wrong. Uh, well, <laughs> as you started your, your broadcasting career, you were still playing, but you know, obviously now you are in your broadcasting <laughs> career. Okay. What led to the choice of, of doing broadcasting rather than, um, you know, managing or pitching coach or, or something along those lines? Well, you know, I watched the 70, the, the 78 playoff game between the Yankees and the um, Red Sox. Uh, Matt Marola was a, Reggie Jackson's agent and he called me and he said, you know, Reggie, if the Yankees win, ABC is going to need a broadcaster. So watch the game. If the Yankees win, you'll go to work with Howard Cosell and, um, Keith Jackson. So I watched the game, and that was—I don't know if you, you guys are too young, but uh, but if you know baseball history, you would know it. I mean, uh, Mike Torres, who pitched with us, part of the Reggie Jackson, um, Kenny Holtzman trade, mm-hmm. we traded Don Baylor, and Chris Weaver said, "Yeah, he's going to be a, you know an MVP," and he was, you know, like what three years later. Right. But Torres starts the game. It's two nothing. Bucky Dent hits a three-run home run. Three to two, four to two, five to two, five to three, five to four. Now I've packed. I got half my bag ready to go and I'm thinking well I start to pack and and, and then Goose Gossage comes in and gets the as I think and rice out and I go to broadcast with Howard Cosell so that's kind of how it started but um I enjoyed broadcasting plus you know I was doing world series and playoffs if we weren't in uh you know in the world series or whatever I I mean I did the 80 playoffs with Al Michaels you know and I was still playing all the way to what the beginning of 84 right did the 81 World Series with Al and, and Howard and Keith Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 82 playoffs, we lost the last day of the year. And, of course, some writers said, well, he didn't care. He's going to go off and do the playoffs, as it turned out, with Earl Weaver and, and Al Michaels. Like, I wanted to do the playoffs instead of playing in them, <laughs> you know. And my youngest daughter, Kelly, wrote a letter to the editor saying, how do you know what my dad wants or whatever. It's one <laughs> of the great letters of all time. So I just kind of, you know, did it, and I was doing the Monday Night Baseball, and then – didn't originally do the Oriole games. And then Arnie Kleiner called in, in like 89. He said, we, you know, we need a play-by-play guy to do some of the games for Brooks. And then you'll do color with John Miller, who's, you know, one of the best broadcasters ever. So I did a little bit of that. Um, so I just kind, of, just kind of morphed into that. And then they rehired Brooks. And then I went to work for HTS, which was pretty hysterical working with John Lowenstein and Mel Proctor. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I tried not to say everything on my mind, but they did. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a totally different thing. So, you know, I mean, I enjoyed it. And, uh, you, you know, I mean, I went through 14 straight losing years, yeah. um, which was, you know, it's funny. It's, it's if you enjoy baseball, if you like to see baseball, four into 32 finishes, it's not a lot of fun. But, yeah. Not that the Orioles were trying to lose those games. So you you, you do right. your game, and obviously, uh, you know. But l- I'll give you one little life lesson that I learned about broadcasting. I, I was doing the 88 playoffs with McCarver and, and um, Al Michaels, and it was the Mets and the, and the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. So we play the first two games in New York now. I had a friend who's a stunt man. So, you know, I'm staying at his, his, his brother's got the, the old Louis Vermeer house on the beach in Santa Monica. It's where Peter Lawford owned it, and that's where Jack Kennedy used to meet 
Marilyn Monroe and, <laughs> and you know, wow. have their little tryst and all that. And so it had a lot of history. So you go right about a mile up, you'd play volleyball. Uh-huh. So I'm down there and we do like the Tuesday night game and the, the, the Dodgers lose three to two. And I go down there and Lenny, who was a leatherback, he had been in the, in the sun for about 50 years. He says, yeah, you know, I really thought you and Michaels and McCarver, there's something off last night. And, you know, and I said, geez, I thought we covered everything. Really good game, except the Dodgers lost. Yeah. So I come, you know, go back to the ballpark, 12-15, go to the ballpark. Dodgers win 9-4. to four, I come down to play volleyball. He's, Lenny goes, God, you guys were great. <laughs> and I said, you mean because the Dodgers won? Right. Well, you know, so imagine doing 14 losing seasons <laughs> with yeah. the Orioles. Yeah. Everybody's turning off their TVs right. and whatever. But, you know, I mean, I've always kind of enjoyed it. I've always got a chance to, you know, whether it was Mel Proctor and Lowenstein or, you know, working with Mike Gregi, and then I got to work. Gary Thorne, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I, it's funny when you meet a guy like Gary Thorne, you go, uh, if you were in a bar and you're waiting for, to get a table or something like that, and you heard his voice, you would say, uh, excuse me, I know, I know I only know you for about a minute, but yeah. do you talk to yourself a lot? <laughs> and, and they, of course, would say, what are you talking about? I said, no, if I had a voice like that, I'd be talking to myself all the time. <laughs> yeah. So I just kind of enjoy it. And I think even though the game has changed because of the analytics and, you know, maybe you're getting kind of getting away from old school baseball where um, unless you do the guardians, <laughs> you know, and they have like an old school thing. Yeah. Um, I just kind of enjoy the, the, you know, the banter and uh, you know, all that. I mean, the pandemic right. certainly didn't help because of the fact you couldn't go on the field or go in the locker room, but I always thought that was an integral part of broadcasting to actually be on the field, yeah. be in the locker rooms. And it's a little bit more difficult to do that. Right. Well, so we're getting some questions as well on, YouTube and on Facebook about your favorite pitchers over the years and whether if there's one particular pitcher maybe in the game now or somebody that you watched after you retired or during your playing days that you particularly enjoyed watching. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I played on a team that had 420 game winners in 71. And, mm-hmm. you know, Mike Coyar, we, we got him in – I mean, I used to see him in winter ball. When I hurt my shoulder, I played for Frank Robinson mm-hmm. in, uh, for San Terce, and he pitched for San Juan. And I'd see him swimming in the pool. I never really, I don't think he pitched against us that year. But then we traded for him, you know, Kurt Bluffrey and all that. They went down to, yeah. to, to Houston. And Mike won 139 games in seven years. Oh. And Weaver said he can't pitch in cold weather, but he pitched with two days rest at the end of the year. And he, and he, he could pitch in cold weather. He could pitch any time. He, right. yeah. he could pitch in his sleep because he was that talented. Mm-hmm. You know, Dave McNally won 20 games four times for us. And yeah. we used to play a lot of golf together. And, I would ha- try to have a dialogue with a dialogue with Earl Weaver, and he would say, "Nope, yep," and um, <laughs> probably got along with him a lot better than I did because I tried to reason with Earl, and that was not an easy thing to do. <laughs> um, so you know that thing, and then you know, I, I mean, I'm you know, I, I was a really dear friends. I used to mentor, I mean, Dennis and uh, Scotty McGregor and Mike Flanagan. Yeah. I mean, one of the great stories is we're going up to Boston, in Mike's first year as a starter, um, and we used to sit in the first row of coach. And we ever sit up in first class, so you know he never knew it was that. So, and Mike smoked, and you know, but used to allow smoking on the thing, and I'd get the blower, I blow the smoke away. <laughs> but we would talk, and you know, I had a much more experience. And he looked at me and he says, "I think he's two and eight, but he's really pitched well. Mm-hmm. We don't score runs, and run support has a lot to do with winning and losing." And he goes, "You know, I don't think Earl has any um, <laughs> any faith in me." And I said, "Well." You know, he's giving you the ball every fourth day. So we go to Boston, and he, he, the, the, the bathroom's right across from the manager's office, and I'm at going, you know, going in, and 
here comes Earl. And I said, by the way, I said, I know you don't know this because I sit in coach and you sit in first class, but I sit with Mike Flanagan and, um, you know, he doesn't think you have a lot of faith in him. Well, I can't use the language that Earl used. Um, we're, we're, friggin', yeah. friggin', friggin' faith <laughs> the, is two and eight. And I put his name in the lineup and I said, Earl, <laughs> I said, here's the deal. Are you going to put his name in the lineup every fourth day? He says, well, yeah, because I think, you know, I think he's going to be a good pitcher. I said, so maybe you should call him in. You know, I'm just yeah. trying to help. You know, right. I mean, I'm a veteran player. I'm trying to help your, you know, do your job. And if you're going to keep putting in there, and he doesn't think you have any faith in him, call him in. Well, Earl doesn't do that, but he goes <laughs> to the Boston Globe. Uh, really? And he gets Cliff Keene, who writes for the Globe, writes the baseball column. And he, Mike Flanagan, maybe two and eight, but I think he's going to be wow. a winning pitcher. <laughs> Well, he ends up 15 and 10 that year. Wow. So huh. something worked out. The, yeah. the run support picked up, sounds well, like. Well, yeah, <laughs> and, he, and he kept pitching the way he did, and right. he went on to win a Cy Young in 1979. So, yeah, it's you just try to do your do your little bit, yeah. whatever you can. It's an awesome story. Any uh, any pitchers in today's game that you particularly enjoy watching? Well, I you know maybe not the last week because DeGrom and Scherzer got yeah. beat you know, in a big series with Atlanta. I mean, Jacob DeGrom, I mean, I, uh, two springs ago, I'm reading, he said, uh, you know, he hits 100 miles per hour or whatever, and they go, yeah, you know, you hit 100 miles an hour or more on the radar gun. He said, yeah, but the most important thing is, where was the ball? It was down and away. And I throw my slider off that. Well, that's the way we were taught it. Right. You know, so while I'm sure he knows analytics, um, position of the ball on the plate at 100, 101, and when he gets the ball in the middle of the plate, what happened the other day? He threw three home runs. So, you know, I love seeing him. And, you know, I've always met a Kershaw fan because he wears the same number that I did. And, you know, he, yeah. he's – there was an article the other day that said, a good pitch is a good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> not what your spin rate is, not the shape, but a good pitch is a good pitch. And you know how you define a good pitch? Did they hit it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, yeah. so, you know, you see – so, obviously, you know, he was terrific. And then – I mean, you know, all I got to do is go to the Hall of Fame and see Ferguson Jenkins, who won, won a game seven times, or see some of the guys that, you know, were able to pitch. I mean, we are up in Boston last week, and one of the, you know, the guys have been there as long as I have, and they said, yeah, I used to see you play pitch against Louis Tian. I said, oh, yeah, 17-6. and six. I could get the bases loaded, 10th inning. Um, Bumbry and Coggins coming up in 73, and I'm going, oh, I'm going to get some runs. I'm going to win. I'm going to be 18-6. and six. He gets out of it. And then Ben Ogilvy hits a pot fly in the 11th inning, and I lose 2-1 to one down the left field line. <laughs> yeah. Those those kind of guys, you know. Yeah. Uh, I heard that Sam McDowell's not doing well, but sudden Sam McDowell. I mean, you know, you can go down the list. Nolan Ryan, uh, you know, all the guys that you knew you had to really pitch well against and, uh, you know, were very competitive. And, you know, I mean, even, you know, the deceased, like somebody said, yeah, I saw you in the All-Star game pitching against Seaver. <laughs> and Dave McNally said, I bunted, and Pete Rose threw me out, and I come back, and Max says, you could hit a little bit. Why didn't you try to take him deep? And I said, it's Tom Seaver. <laughs> oh, and 97 on the corner with a slider to match. What are you, out of your mind? Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. um, you know, and then Koufax. I, 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 you know, I kind of grew up in, in um, I mean, New York. but So I loved Whitey Ford. Yeah. And I loved Allie Warner at Reynolds. And I loved all the guys that pitched for the Yankees, whether they were any good or not. <laughs> Ford of Christmas was in the Hall of Fame. But then I went out to California, and I used to listen to Vince Scully, you know, who just passed away, one of the great broadcasters. But, you know, Drysdale and, and Koufax. And, yeah. You know, Sandy was a little bit like I was where, um, I mean, he's left-handed, but he had trouble with his command and his control early on. And then, you know, arguably for 
five or six years was the best pitcher ever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you meet in 66. And well, <laughs> yeah, that was Willie Davis. People, you know, Sandy, it was nothing, nothing game going to the fifth inning right. until Willie Davis dropped his two. And they weren't, it wasn't even a bright day. I mean, the sun was out. Yeah. But it wasn't like an Oakland or a San Francisco day where it's easy to lose the ball in the sun. He just dropped them. Right. Wow. And it worked out. Thank God for smog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the Dodgers and other organizations, you got to be on some incredible pitching staffs with the Orioles over the course of your career. But if was there any one organization or any one team, if you had to leave the Orioles at some point over the course of your career, that you would have chosen to sign with or chosen to go and pitch for? Well, at the end of my career, when I got released, you know, we – I didn't really have much – I mean, I did win a game in the 83 World Series, but it was right. in relief and, you know, ball went through – Yvonne Data, Seuss's legs, uh, you know, on my, what, 38th birthday or whatever it was, mm-hmm. which made me, I guess, the only guy to win a World Series game in three different decades. But yeah. it was, <laughs> like, I mean, I didn't really pitch that much. And I went to spring, and I actually, on the, there was a high chopper, and mm-hmm. I think I tore the cartilages in my knee. So the next spring was kind of pain, painful, but I actually had a pretty good spring. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're like 38, 39 years old. So right. you, you, then we started out, the Tigers went 35 and 5. So, um, and you know, Edward Ben Williams said, you know, yeah, I, I mean, I still remember the meeting, you know, Ray Miller's a pitching coach. He wants to manage, so he wants me out of there. So Storm Davis won't, you know, won't, won't say, well, Jim Palmer kind of programmed me and I went out and pitched a three hitter against the, you know, the, uh, the Brewers or whatever. So I knew it was time to go, but I did call Gene Mock, who was the general manager in Los Angeles because Don Baylor played there, Reggie played there, Gritch played there, gotcha. Sensei played there. And I would have gone there. Yeah, uh, Frank Cashman wanted me to go talk to, to you know go to the Mets, and I'm going. Well, I'm going to sit in a hotel room in New York and just try to win games. Plus, the other thing, and probably the most important thing, that's you know you guys are young, but I had daughters that were 13 and 15. Uh, yeah, you know Kelly, the, my 13 year old, and Jamie, and I've been away their whole lives. So I'm going. I I can broadcast because I'm doing that in the off season. Mm-hmm. I was working for Jockey. Um, I had a lot of other options, and I'm going. You know, do I really want to do that? And the answer was was no. But I would have gone to the Angels because, and I even told Gene Mock, I'll fly out there, I'll pay my own way just to show you I can pitch. Right. And then uh, Hank Peters called uh, John McNamara because they had a connection and told him I still couldn't pitch. So really? pe- yeah, well that's <laughs> that's the word. So right. and you know, and Hank was a nice guy. Why why he would do that, I don't know, but he did. And huh. you know, your career ends. And a lot of history between those two organizations, too, the Angels and the Orioles. You mentioned all those former players that ended up. Well, free agency. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Gene Autry had the money. <laughs> right. And the Orioles, uh, you know, didn't didn't spend it. Yeah. You know, the interesting thing, when, when we traded for Reggie, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Torres and and um, and, uh, and Don Baylor going for Holtzman and Reggie, right. Reggie would have signed for 150, 175, 200, 225, and 250, and 50,000 for his dad. And the Orioles just did not at that particular time. Right. Hoffberger family just didn't, you know, they just didn't have the foresight of what free agent was going to be. And then right. at the end of the year, they, they offered Reggie a lot of money, and he got a better deal in New York, and the same with Bobby Gritch and right. Ross Grimsley and whatever. So and now whether, whether we had the, the, uh, the revenue to do that, I don't really know. But it, it, free agency really changed baseball. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So you mentioned this a little bit, uh, talking about some of the current pitchers and, you know, the growth of analytics in the game. And you mentioned how, you know, some of your favorite pitchers now are those who can kind of combine the analytics with just kind of the old school style of pitching of just, you know, put a pitch in a good spot. If 
you, when you were pitching, had all of the information available to you that we have nowadays. Do you think that would have changed how you pitched, or do you think you would have had a similar approach? Well, I never would have had to pitch the ninth inning. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, yeah. mean, I mean, that's, you know, um, you know, I wrote an article, of, it's in one of the papers today, about, um, you know, complete games and whatever. I mean, if you look at uh, Max Scherzer, terrific pitcher, making, what, $43 million. He's got 12 yeah. complete games. Now, it doesn't mean he's a bad pitcher. He, I think he went 300, I don't know how many starts I was. I was just kind of perusing the article, you know, a couple hundred starts before he even pitched a complete game because they, they don't ask you to do that. My question, and the writer didn't write it, is so everybody says, okay, analytically you look, okay, if you look at most guys, not the really good pitchers, um, they, you know, first time you go through the order, maybe they're two, 270. Then if you're any good, maybe it goes down or maybe it stays the same third time. Most young pitchers, it goes up because – and today the article said, well, they, somebody said, well, they don't train to pitch to get a guy out three times. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did you have to work at Hamburger's Men's Store and $150 a week, you know, and go to banquets? I mean, you can have your own throwing program. You can have your own guy. I mean, it's, right. it's totally different. I, and my question to this writer, and he didn't write it, was, so why can't pitchers get guys out three times? Right. Yep. I mean, are they tired? Why can't? I mean, I know physically, because I did it for, you know, for quite a long time, um, why can't you throw 120, 125, 30, 40, 50 mm. pitches? And we used to do it every fourth day. So um, I, and, and again, the writer didn't write it, but I said, I said, you're missing out on yeah. what it's like to pitch in Yankee Stadium or in Camden Yards or in Fenway Park to get their best hitters out, to, you know, to, to, you know, to, yeah. You know, try to get, you know, whoever it may be. You know, Toronto's in town. To try to get Vladimir Guerrero Jr. out, you know, the, the third or fourth time. Yeah, right. Never have to do that. Right. Now, maybe maybe the numbers show that you're going to bring somebody else that has better to do it. But why is that the case? Yeah. And, and if you look at the Orioles here in, you know, 2022, you know, we did make the, the, the Jorge Lopez trade. So your best reliever at that time was traded. So our bullpen's exhausted, and the numbers showed that in the month of September. Not that some of the guys like Brian Baker haven't pitched really well, but the, the big question is, you know, and Dave Wallace used to always talk about it and Dom Trini. They get, yeah, we're going to try to get those uh, 18 outs or that 21 outs, and it never happened. And I, 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 I still don't understand. You learn so much about yourself when you're able to, you know, to, to, to pitch into the ninth inning or, the, or now make it eight innings. And hand the ball to you know Felix Batista, right. or early in the year Jorge Lopez, and take your chances. Well, I think that was partly what was incredible a couple of weeks ago was when we saw that yeah. string of Orioles pitchers that were pitching five, five, yeah, five games a one on one year, right? Yeah, yeah. It, so late into games, and it was some young guys who had really never had that against good hitting teams. Yes, yeah. You know, I mean, twenty twenty two is uh, July third or ten win. So, I mean, you're 10 games under 500, you win yeah. 10 in a row, yeah. you get to 500, and since then, what, we've been five over? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so that that one stretch, mm-hmm. played poor teams, doesn't mean you're automatically going to beat them because the Tigers early Absolutely. in September beat us when they weren't particularly playing well. Uh, we played better against Houston than we did against the Tigers. But, again, I mean, that 10-game stretch, stretch turned the season around. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever go back and look – now I think – 
part of the good thing with having these computers here is you get to look at all these stats at your fingertips. Guys who pitched years and years ago. Do you ever look at your own baseball reference page and look at some of the incredible stats on there, the complete games, the innings pitch, the wins, and kind of compare them with some of the greats who are also up there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I look at what – well, you know, there, I was sitting on the couch once, and my wife Susan says there was an article, uh, Jim Palmer, SB Nation article, maybe the most overrated Hall of Famer of all time. <laughs> what? I said, oh, really? I said, okay. I said, uh, can I peruse that? So, <laughs> so you know, it was saying that um, – I didn't strike out that many guys. Of course, I asked an analytical guy, what happened with runners in third and less than two outs? He said, oh, your strikeouts went up 19 or 20%. I said, <laughs> Someone okay, you need to by check. accident. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, your batting average on balls in play, usually the league average is, maybe it's down this year because batting averages in general are down, but, mm. you know, it used to be 300. Now maybe it's in the 290s. Mine was 249 for my career. <laughs> That's you know, almost 4,000 innings. Yeah. Another accident. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, if they said, well, he had, had good defenses. And I did. I yeah. said, I was a fly ball pitcher, and I had a really good third baseman and a really good shortstop. Yeah. I had Paul Blair for a while, mm -hmm. and then, you know, we didn't, I didn't have a lot of gold glovers in our outfield. Right. And yeah. Pat Kelly, you know, was trying to convert people to Christianity and not working <laughs> on his outfield defense. I mean, so it wasn't – and I'm reading this, and I'm going, okay – you know, and then, yeah. you know, I, my wife sent me the Nolan Ryan. She said, well, I really like to meet Ruth Ryan because she's such a beautiful woman and she's 80. Uh -huh. And she's also from Texas and my wife's from College Station. Oh, okay. But, of course, she's criticizing me because I won the 73, um, you know, Cy Young Award. Mm -hmm. And Nolan was 21 and 16 with 383 strikeouts, two no-hitters. I was 22 and 9 with a lower ERA. And, and mm -hmm. he was 5 over and I was 13 over, but he should have won. So... I'm used to all that stuff and, oh you know, and whatever. <laughs> so the numbers, I always thought, did you win? And, yeah. you know, Dave McNally set the tone here. I mean, see, Barb, <laughs> sorry about that. It's okay. That's scam, the joy scam of Scam likely. <laughs> scam, see what happens when I come on the show? Um, um, That's our problem. And I don't even know how to scam. turn this off, to be quite honest. Um, uh, but Barbara was the first 20-game winner, but Dave McNally in 68 won like, the last 12 games. And he got a uh, fifteen thousand dollars raise. So the magic number was: you win twenty games, you yeah. get a fifteen thousand dollars raise. If you want to Cy Young, maybe you get an extra five thousand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned some of your great teammates. Uh, question on YouTube from one of our fans: um, Do you have some favorite teammates in particular? Yeah, but people won't, they won't be household names. Um, you know, Terry Crowley, yeah, great hitting instructor. But Crow and I, you know, when I hurt my arm, he, we went through the minors together. Um, when my arm got better in 68, it took a while. I went to instructional league and my last start down there, Terry Crowley, I still apologize to him every time I see him, <laughs> 10 runs and 14 hits. And he played left field and we played the pirates that eventually would be most of the crux of the 71 other than Clemente, right. you know, Robertson and Hevner and, you know, Sangi and all those guys and the guys and I ran crow to death. So <laughs> I loved, I mean, Terry Crowley and, you know, I mean, you know, Davey Leonard, who was from Baltimore, you know, he signed for a 20% discount on a pair of Spike and went six and two. And then when I was my roommate in, a, you know, in, in a ball, went 16 and four. Next year he went to double A, 20 and five. Then he went to triple A, was 15 and three and had trouble making the team. Um, you know, you, you can go down. I mean, Richie Dowers having some health problems. Wacko was a great second base. I mean, all the guys, you know, we, you know, Paul Blair, we used to play golf with Weaver and Pat Santa around the groundskeeper. We'd all meet at Pine Ridge or 
turf alley and we, you know, play eight sums and do all this and play bridge golf where you bid on every hole and then you double and you redouble, <laughs> you know, not playing for a lot of money, but having a good time. So, yeah. you know, a lot of guys, uh, you know, the Don Stan houses, you know, and then of course I think <clears throat> when you mentor, um, you know, Mike Flanagan, who was one of the funniest guys, a really talented guy, and Scotty McGregor, who I talked to uh, from time to time, or, or Dennis Martinez. My, we went to Gary Carter's uh, uh, after he passed away, and my wife said, you and Dennis were so happy. And I said, well, you know, we, I mean, I was a little bit older, but, right. you know, I used to sit there and try to get Dennis to, to look at the game. And years later, you know, he had a problem with alcohol, and he completely beat it. He, I'm doing Monday Night Baseball. He beats the Mets when they're at their best, like 86, 2 to nothing, and I go down to see him, and he says, you know what, I just want to thank you for all the things you tried to get me to see. Now I see. Wow. Hmm. And, it, you know, he had matured. He had yeah. been able to prioritize his his life to, you know, to pitching. And he, well, I think he won the second most uh, games by any you know, Latin American pitcher. Right. Plus he was El Presidente, yeah, you know, from Presidente. Nicaragua. Yeah. So. yeah, I think it's such a cool aspect of your career. I'm sure you've reflected a lot on it is the fact that, you were in 66 as a youngster pitching in the World Series. You mentioned those being the only pitcher to pitch in three in World Series in three different decades. And so you get to see this, the entire scope of the Orioles as an organization, getting to be the young guy on some winning teams and then be the veteran on some winning teams. Well, I teams. sat in the bullpen, and uh, uh, Charlie <laughs> Lau, who went on to be one of the great uh, hitting instructors, he, he had a bad elbow, and he was one of our bullpen catchers, along mm-hmm. with John Orsino, mm-hmm. who chose baseball over being the drummer for, Frankie Valley, really big mistake, and John <laughs> yeah. was a great guy, uh, you know. And then could Dick have been Brown. in Jersey Boys. Yeah, well, no, he exactly. <laughs> right. Oh no, he was. Oh yeah, he was. He was. Yeah, a lot of people. But yeah. you know, my nickname was Brash because I asked so many questions. I well, I don't think I was Brash. Room with Robin Roberts, who had 270 wins, who mentored me. So you kind of fall in. Um, the other day, Dick Hall. You know, we were up in Boston. Dick Hall just turned 92. Now, he's the godfather of my uh, oldest daughter, Jamie. Uh, he used to drive me to the ballpark. Used to tell me about the geo- geological formation of rocks on Charles uh, Charles Street. Really? Went to Swarthmore. Um, you know, when when he got traded to the Phillies, he got to play with after Frank hit forty nine home runs, won the Triple Crown, and two in the World Series. He goes to play with uh, Dick Allen, Richie Allen. Yeah. And he comes back, and that we lived. He lived. Thing. I bought a house for twenty six thousand two hundred dollars, and he lived right up the street. Mm-hmm. You know, he had three daughters, and and Dave was or in the same year as my oldest daughter, Jamie. So they kind of were playmates and all that. And I, I said, uh, hey, uh, what was it like, you know, the difference between Dick Allen and, and Frank Robinson? He goes, 50 feet farther. Because <laughs> Dick Allen hit the ball so far. Right. And then the other day, I'm talking to him, and he's 92. Uh-huh. And, you know, we were talking. I said, yeah, you know, I learned a lesson when you told me, you know, he's out by a step. Mm-hmm. And he, Dick, who went to Swarthmore, was an accountant. He goes, a step is not... Uh, you know, two or three inches, it's about three feet. Yeah. And then at 92, he says, well, what you should do is have the guys run down and then see where the footprints are and then measure the difference between the footprints. <laughs> and I mean, this is 92 year old man. Right. Oh yeah. So, wow. So He's getting I, so, scientific. Well, he was, and then yeah. we'd be sitting in the out, standing in the outfield in Miami and the wind would, was prevailing wind was out of the Southeast, which is the way it is. And the wind would be coming out of the West and he goes, it's going to rain. It'll be raining by one o'clock and by one <laughs> o'clock. So Dick could, he could pitch. He threw, I think, you know, he had exquisite control over, you know, six, six, third baseman coming up through the pirates really, you know, was an integral part of our, 
where teams have won 109, 108, 101 games. Yeah. And he could tell the weather, too. It's unbelievable. <laughs> 92-year-old weatherman. Yeah, yeah. well, work. Not, I don't know about now. <laughs> yeah. But now he can tell you how long a stride is. That's amazing. So, obviously, you have been through you know, so many years of Orioles baseball. Another fan question that we have is if this year's Orioles team reminds you of any team that you've been a part of or, or maybe one in recent memory that you've seen. Um, well, they surprised, you know, surprised the world. Yeah. I mean, 52 wins to, well, whatever it would turn out, 82, 83, hopefully 84 yeah. wins. But 82, I mean, 30 more wins than last year. Um, you know, I... No, you know, because when I got to the Orioles in, when I was 19 and 65, we we finished second, but we won 94 games. Right. And then Frank, we traded for Frank Robinson, and um, everybody thinks, well, you, you know, he comes over, and he did kind of change the culture because of the way he played the game. But we only won three more games the next year. <laughs> now, the Twins had won 102 in 65, so we finished second. So we won 97, and, you know, go to the World Series. And I was thinking of the day. Because this is, I think, Yom Kippur. Mm-hmm. Um, what if Koufax had pitched game one? Yeah. <laughs> what day of the week was game? Well, one? he had to wait. He that wasn't it. He the reason he didn't pitch the first game was because he couldn't pitch right on Saturday or yes. w- whatever. So Drysdale pitched the first game. Right. And what if Koufax had pitched the first game? Yeah. Maybe well, we would all win the World Series. Well, you swept <laughs> you know? though, right? Well, we did, but you know. <laughs> But you, you know, never know. You never you know. know. I mean, you know, maybe, you know, Brooks and Frank don't hit home runs off of Koufax. Right. I mean, who did? Uh, in the <laughs> yeah. first inning like they did off Drysdale. Right. Or, you know, maybe it, it's not as bright and Willie Davis doesn't drop. As, or maybe Drysdale strikes you out or throws ground balls or right. whatever. I, I, I was, it was just kind of a funny thought. But, yeah. yeah. That's so, fascinating to think yeah. about. Well, uh, we don't want to keep you too long. You do have the game in a little bit. But Let's, I do want to ask about uh, your time on the big screen in a couple different uh, avenues <laughs> with na- the naked gun yeah. is the classic one. And then uh, more recently the silver screen in Veep uh, and which very different shows, very different styles, obviously both comedies, but is there one we're missing in here as well? A movie that you were appeared in or a show that you appeared in maybe that we're missing? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> No, you know, I mean, so I, I get a call. I mean, I'd seen airplane mm-hmm. and, they said the, the Zucker brothers are doing this movie, um, as, you know, Reggie Jackson. I mean, it's going to be about, you know, the Queen Elizabeth and coming to a game <laughs> and maybe, you know, Reggie's going to shoot her. I don't know what the deal was, but <laughs> I didn't really know the storyline. I mean, I have a good friend, Teddy uh, Grossman, who's a stuntman. A lot of times he does movies, and um, I said, what's the name? He goes, well, they don't have a name yet or whatever. So I don't even know if it was Naked Gun when we shot it. Really? But they said... Um, come to Los Angeles, $7,500, first-class ticket. My stuntman friend, Teddy Grossman, lives on the, I told you, he lives on the beach in Santa Monica. So I'm thinking, I'm not working. That I'm not doing baseball that week or two weeks. I'll go out and play volleyball. You know, I mean, it's a nice experience. So, um, you know, you got what, uh, who was I? I had Kirk Gowdy. I'm hugging Kirk Gowdy. Yeah. You got. Um, I think Al Michaels was in Well, I'm, I don't know if Al. No, you have some of the great broadcasters of all time. Dick Vitale's in there. Yes, in fact, so. we went to lunch with Vic Vitale, and I go, can you speak up? Because he whispers <laughs> at lunch. Does he? Yeah, and he no, yells man. during the games. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, he's, he's such, a, such a nice man. Yeah. And um, so, you know, and then I mean, Tim McCarver's in it. Yeah. And I swear, we'd still be there shooting more scenes if, if Tim did. He was doing the Mets at the time. Uh-huh. And, he, and we were shooting up 
at, you know, at some studio on Sunset Boulevard, which is not that far from Dodger Stadium. Okay. So finally, about 4.15, Demi says, you know, I, I kind of have to go do a game. <laughs> you know, we're playing the Dodgers tonight. <laughs> right. So they, they ended the shoot. And then, you know, Leslie Nielsen stopped by. And then years later, a couple of years later, um, he actually was from Toronto. He came up to the Sky Dome down the Rog- Rogers Center and said, boy, is it high up here and all that. But he was, he was fabulous in that movie. He yeah. was awesome. And then Why? the Veep was here in Baltimore. Yeah. It was freezing. Was it? Yeah, it was freezing. The- yeah, well, it was, you know, it was, we shot it and it took forever. Really? <laughs> yeah, and we weren't indoors like we were for the Naked Gun. Right. Uh, but the great thing about that is, we, you know, we have, what, six broadcasters. We have Dr. Joyce Brothers, our own psychologist, mm. which kind of, you know, to, to kind of do almost a 360 do you think we need a psychologist for Kevin Brown? Is it too early? <laughs> I think you're on to something. There's got to be some. Yeah, we wonder. can add that position to the staff, I feel like. Somebody's yeah. got to break down that. Well, no, maybe not on a daily basis, but once a week. <laughs> yeah. You know. That could be the three-man booth as he provides hey, Exactly. The a little therapy. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe not on Sundays because it's usually a day, you know, day game after a night game. But yeah. no, just... Yeah. It's it's those late games where I feel like you guys get really loopy, and that's when the yeah. interesting go, or it's a big blowout when the conversation really gets. Uh, he tries to bring it off the rails. <laughs> well, he doesn't have a problem doing that. No, he is, <laughs> no, no. He's happy to. Well, do he's that. almost. You know, he's kind of like this, skidding off before he even gets the do. <laughs> right. No, I yeah, he's he he's, I, I tell him he's gonna. He tells me he's already a superstar. I tell him you're you're on your way to being a superstar. Very talented guy, and I mean, not that. You know, I mean, I miss Gary to death. Oh, I think yeah. all of us that ever worked with Terry, Gary Thorne, and, uh, you know, but yeah. that's part of the deal. You know, when you work with somebody as, yeah. as long as we do and you do games and you do winning seasons and losing seasons. And, um, you know, I was looking the other day about the longest home runs anybody's ever hit. And, uh-huh. you know, I think Jonathan Smoke hit the longest home run, 486 feet. Wow. And he was in Kansas City and it's down the left field line all the way up and where they, I don't know, they, okay. you know, you, we're almost out of the ballpark. That's right. how far I was hit. And Gary did the call. Let him go. You know, nothing like it. It's probably yeah. excellent. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, but again, you know, Kevin's marvelous, and uh, he's going to have a long, great career. And, and like I said before, he'll be a lot better if we win more games. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot better this year than last year. Right. Yeah. You can hear his voice crack a little bit more because we've heard it, heard it a couple times, but we'll get more. What do you so mean? His his voice cracks occasionally. He he brought it up in one of the. Uh, it was a walk-off. I think it was the Trey Mancini walk-off where he his voice just cracked just a tiny bit. So. You mean emotionally? <laughs> I'm with emotion, yeah. The man does not have any emotions. <laughs> no. no, I'm just yeah. kidding. Sorry, Kevin. No, yeah. Well, that uh, we, we want to let you get out of here if there's, uh, you know, a game to be played tonight. Hopefully the, the rain holds up. But uh, Hall of Famer Jim Palmer, thanks so much for joining us here. On oh, Mass you're welcome. Home. I hope I didn't confuse anybody who was watching this. <laughs> this was Sorry. Excellent. Yeah, we really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to hearing I you. I had some green tea early this morning, so I apologize. For <laughs> <laughs> awesome. The Hall of Famer Jim Palmer, Brendan Mortensen on Paul Mancano. Thanks so much for tuning in.